Hello, I'm M. And I'm Eyes. And welcome to our brand new podcast, Tipples and Tolkien. Let us be your guides as we return to Middle Earth this fall with the premiere of the new Amazon show, Rings of Power. We'll discuss episodes with you, tell tales of old, and even bring you a brand new tipple recipe every week to enjoy. You can find us on all major podcast platforms, as well as Twitter, which is at Tipples Tolkien, that is T-I-P-P-L-E-S t-o-l-k-i-e-n and instagram at tipples and tolkien so cozy up pour yourself a drink and come on a journey with us this fall on tipples and tolkien previously on set condition one well caleb you've got to stay hydrated i'm starting to come around on billy ray cylon You know how I feel about this. Obligatory Futurama reference. You think they're all silence? What if they're all silence? Action stations. Action stations. Set condition one throughout the ship. This is not a drill. Repeat. Action stations. Action stations. Set condition one throughout the ship. This is not a drill. The Cylons were created by man. They rebelled. They evolved. They look. And feel. Human. Some are programmed to think they are human. There are many copies. There are many copies. And they have a plan. Action stations, action stations, set condition one throughout the podcast. Welcome again to Set Condition One, a Night Shift Radio production. I'm your host, SC1 Actual Caleb, and joining me on the CIC is the XO Kitsy. It's raining on Kobol. <laughs> and speaking of Kobol, somewhere on the surface of Kobol, caught in a rainstorm and drenched, trying desperately to read the handwritten scriptures uh, of the late Elosha, as the president of the podcast in the 12 colonies, Andrea. You have no idea how much it means to me that you're on this podcast. She says something like that to Billy. <laughs> I felt like really special there for, for a <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry. Yeah. It does mean a lot. You should have left us months ago. It, yeah. Uh, every every week when I when I fire up the Google Hangout and you're here, I'm surprised. <laughs> How does it feel the weeks that I'm running a little bit late? <laughs> I'm just always worried that Ellen's going to be there. She's going to be like, he just ran out to get a pack of cigarettes. He'll be back. <laughs> Any minute right now. Back. He just went for some milk. It's fine. <laughs> I just, oh. I, I imagine that like every time before you, you join the Google Hangout, you have to take a deep breath and go, <sighs> I got to do this fucking thing for an hour again. How many more episodes? An hour? <laughs> yeah. It's <laughs> never been an hour. No. <laughs> I'm trying to be optimistic. <laughs> we're, we're at almost two, and we're just starting the second oh my episode. God. Speaking of second episodes, uh, we are, of course, this week talking about the second uh, of a two-parter, uh, the episode Home, uh, from season two of the 2004 sci-fi series Battlestar Galactica. And if you're just joining us, uh, it's been a while since I've said this, so uh, let me remind you that there are lots of episodes before this one that are going to make a lot more sense in order. Like a whole season and a half. 
as much as any episode of the show is going to make sense, they will, they will make more sense in order. So, you know, recommend that you listen to them in that order. But once again, not here to tell you how to live your life. Uh, if you're coming with us on this journey, then so be it. So it's raining. So on say we all, they're they're making their way Galactica. to the place up the up the thing. Uh, Adama and his uh, his buddies are plotting and planning and trying to figure out where they're gonna try to go on Kobol. And uh, Tyrrell makes a comment of uh, that terrain's so rush rough. I can't imagine going without a guide. Boom! Cut immediately to Sharon on Kobol. Ah. So many fun cuts like that through this. Yep. I love them narrating the people on the grounds trip without realizing that that's what they're doing. It's a really fun narrative device to to tell the story that way. I love the the very brief exchange between Adama and Gaeta, uh, where they're trying to, like, they're sorting through the recon data that he had just asked for moments ago uh, or a week ago or however <laughs> long ago, uh, depending on when you watched the previous episode. And, you know, Adama's kind of like, you know, this almost feels like hopeless, like this could be anywhere. And Gaeta has the thought, well, like, well, we can assume that they're using the Book of Pythia, mm-hmm. and if we just if we if that's all we have to go on, since that's what the president's using, probably is somewhere around uh, here, and just kind of points randomly at the map. He's like, "It's uh, the mountains over here," and Adama wisely says, "Well, then let's assume that they're going to start at the most recognizable landmark, which is the Opera House oh. at uh, Stonehenge." Where Yes, the, the Stonehenge Opera House where, where Gaius discovers his children uh, and we still haven't solved the mystery of the eight banners. Children. Shit, I said children, didn't I? You did, yeah. I didn't. I promise that was not meant to throw you okay. off. I, that was actual misspeak. Wait, here. I'll, I'll, tell you, I'll just say the word child and then you can cut it oh, in where Caleb says children. So, so I'll just... Okay, so I'm gonna say the word. I'm gonna say the word "child," and then you're gonna splice it in where Caleb says "children," and no one's gonna know the difference. Ready? I'm gonna do my best Caleb impression. Child. Child. (laughs) Doing like like he's a little sad. Child. (laughs) That was a lot of sad. Too much pepper on that sad. Okay, you want to get a little little sad? Child. There you go. Now do a fun one. Child. (laughs) Wait, wait, wait. wait, A fun one. My child. (laughs) Nailed it. Sounded just like you. It was uncanny. Hey, you got you got plenty of them to pick from now. <laughs> I'm gonna do them all. Uh, we cut to Coble, a steep hill. It's, it's, Is this a uh, commentary courtesy of SadGeezer.com? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Which I just I look down and uh, they they have it sectioned out by scene and they like the the last couple of episodes they've been setting the scene with like the the location. Uh, so it would be like Galactica, Adama's quarters. Like, okay, cool. Uh, but I was just kind of skimming through that that quick exchange between Gaeta and Adama. So it's Adama, Gaeta, Adama, Kobol, a steep hill. <laughs> like, why is Kobol speak? Oh, what? So I had a couple of notes from, uh, from very early in this episode. Uh, and one of them uh, is relevant to this steep hill because they're, they're climbing. Uh, and they're easily halfway, two-thirds of the way up this steep hill, uh, presumably out of... A ravine, we'll say, maybe, hmm. perhaps, some sort of low area in up into the mountains. I mean, Lee uh, even does say we have to get out of this ravine. That's what I'm saying. Like, he he tells the plan of, like, we got to get out of this ravine. I don't want to get us to get caught up in a flash flood. He says we have to get out of this ravine as they are, like, easily, like, two-thirds of the way to the top of the hill. 
They are well out of the ravine at this point. So he waited until they were almost out to tell them the reason why they have to get out. They're like, yeah, that's what we're doing. Well, maybe maybe in, in the Battlestar Galactica universe, a ravine is a, a, a different thing. It's the middle third of a tall mountain. Yeah. <laughs> maybe. Maybe. Um, maybe anything below the top is a ravine. I mean, I, I guess, like, technically the entire... I don't. I don't know. I don't. I don't. You know what? I think Lee's not that smart. I think we're nitpicking too much on this one. Uh, 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 so uh, 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 hold on. <laughs> what? I'm sorry, Kitsy. What? Adama like, references the Opera House, which we know about from uh, from a previous episode. Um, but you'll notice that. Uh, in subsequent scenes, as uh, Adama from his quarters and Rosalind huddled up in the rain under a, a tarp are both pouring over the uh, the Pythian scriptures, the opera music, the opera house theme uh, is playing. Oh, my God. The... Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, your yeah. microphone is like spinning like the fucking exorcist over here. Like, <laughs> um, it... That's so interesting. I never, the only ones I recognize are the Cylon drums and the, um, the Adama family. Well, and the six music. Oh, and the six music. Boop, 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 That's boop, true. Boop, 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 boop. <laughs> it's one note. So now I've got both of you. Fuck. <laughs> How's it feel? That's a bittersweet symphony. Am I right? Oh, I get it. But yeah, so this is a, another fantastic example of uh, Bear McCreary's composing uh, compositions. Uh, yes. Fitting perfectly with the specific themes of the story. We talked last He's week so about the, uh, the father-son Highlands tune uh, whenever there's a really particularly heartwarming moment involving uh, Lee and uh, Bill Adama. Uh, and this opera house music feels like it has this connection specifically to uh to Kobol, to the the city of the gods to the opera house uh and whatnot and so it's it's making a return from that that previous episode where gaius discovers the uh, the opera house amongst the ruins uh and i think that that's really interesting that they like that they make these tangible connections uh with the music Super smart. I love a show that makes use of all of the, like everything's a choice, right? And you can be very, there are certain things that I guess you could be sort of lazy about if you wanted, but if you have the opportunity to to use everything at your disposal, why wouldn't you? And I think Battlestar is definitely a show that does that. I mean, all, all of Bear McCurry's music in this show is extremely intentional, mm-hmm. and I love that mm-hmm. about it. Bear, come talk to us, please. Yeah. Also, you have a cool name. You have the coolest name. That's such a dope name. No, Wolf Blitzer has the coolest name. Wolf Blitzer <laughs> and Bear McCreary. That, that's the show right there. Oh, my God. <sighs> also, I got to say, for a man named Wolf Blitzer, he's way less hardcore than he should be. But Bear McCreary looks exactly. Oh, he looks exactly he like what exactly Bear McCreary should look like. To be. Yeah. I'm just saying, like, you think, like, Wolf Blitzer should be doing, like, fucking kickflips off of an aircraft carrier, right? But no. I mean, no. We don't know that he doesn't do those things. Well, we've never seen him do it. 
It's a good point. So remember, uh, remember Meyer, shithead? No, uh, yeah. Yeah, no, shithead. He's, uh, yeah, he's still in my notes as shithead. He's... He and Zarek have such a weird dynamic. They really, and like, I, I, I alluded to this, or I guess allude is not the right word because I straight up said it, uh, <laughs> but uh, he spends the majority of this episode very much in Harry Morgan mode, like coaching Zarek on exactly why it's important that they kill Lee and how it has to happen and exactly like, you know, going over the plan over and over again and like to like, like a point of obsession. Yeah. Like he is. is just convinced that this has to happen in order to, to for Zarek to get his due. Mm-hmm. And uh, Zarek is... He doesn't seem to be fully on board with the plan. Like initially, he seemed like he he might be okay if like if they went to the the surface of Cobble and just something just accidentally kind of happened to the guy. Like, whoops! But like, he's not fully committed to murder. Yeah, he's a. He's just. I mean, he has been since since day one. But he's an interesting character, and I'm glad that it wasn't so straightforward and he wasn't so on board with this weird lust for this weird bloodlust that uh meyer has it's it's just and now it's funny i didn't watch dexter but it sounds like i i was the whole time i was trying to get a read again on what their dynamic was and there is something paternalistic in a weird way yeah about the way meyer talks to zarek but there's also like a a different kind of like all I'm hesitating to use the word that I'm thinking, but like it's almost like a tenderness in the way that he talks to him about doing murder to Lee. Um, no, you're absolutely just, on the right so path there. Sh- I just don't really. Yeah, his his involvement in that is um, perplexing. I am perplexed. It's interesting because like Zarek is such a complicated character, and like we know even from like our first introduction to him that like. He's got this like larger than life reputation as like a terrorist and freedom fighter, depending on who you ask. And like he uh, very much presents as someone who is willing to do whatever it takes, no matter you know the cost. But when it actually comes down to it, like you see that he's not really like that. Like he won't just kill for for killing's sake, and he doesn't like to get his hands dirty himself either when when he has doesn't have to. And so, like, that that juxtaposition of someone who is, like, basically, like, I'm doing this for you, it's, it's, it's weird. Yeah. I'm so glad that you said that, too, because, and I wonder if this is one of those things that the show just isn't going to wrap up for us, because sometimes that happens with television. Um, but when Valance was murdered, and we talked about who it could be or who it seemed like, that doesn't feel like a very Zarek thing to have done. Um, we have no evidence of him doing that kind of, like, what exactly did he do back on Geminon? He blew up a government building, I think. Yeah. Do we know the circumstances of that in terms of, like, when, who was there, how many people died, that kind of thing? I don't think so. I don't think they ever give the exact numbers. But either way, he is not like a hand-to-hand slicing somebody's throat with a piece of glass. No. As far as we know. Right. So I still think it was Starbuck. 
Now, the likelihood of Zarek himself being the one that actually goes in and kills Valence is very low. Mm -hmm. The likelihood of Zarek having something to do with it, I would say, is very high. Same thing where, like, if we follow through the the logical progression of what Meyer wants to happen here, like, the likelihood of Zarek pulling the trigger to kill Lee is very low. Yeah. Yeah. But the likelihood of him stopping Meyer from doing it and uh, you know, allowing it to happen you know, it's a very different for thing. his sake at this point feels high, but like, and also, as I mentioned, kind of feels like he's pulling back from that. Mm-hmm. Like, like if it happens, it happens, but like, he's not, he's not really encouraging it. In fact, he's, he's kind of like, I don't really know that we need to do this right now. Like, I don't yeah. know that like, maybe we should think this through a little bit better and not just first chance we get, Oops, I was cleaning and it went off. Is Zarek a Cylon? So there we are on Galactica. <laughs> Baltar, hanging out in the brig for some reason. Pretentiously smoking. Uh, talking to a very naked six sitting backwards on a chair. Like a cool teacher. <laughs> like a cool teacher trying to relate to some teens. I mean, that is what she's doing. Yeah. That chair doesn't look comfortable. It's... M- Metal. Yeah, it's gotta be it's cold. Probably cold. Gotta be cold yeah. on the bits. On the bits. Although we're not entirely sure that she's real, so maybe that doesn't affect her at all. Um That's a good point. But she uh she tells Baltar that uh their child's gonna be born right there in this room, in this this brig. This is the room where it happens, right? Like Hamilton, right, uh, kids? I think that's what it's that's the line. And Baltar's kind of like, you know, you're, you're, you know, he makes this this uh, line, this jab about the metaphorical child, and she's like, "What's so metaphorical about it? Like, why are you being a dick about this?" And he's like, "You know, you're a figment of my imagination. How are you supposed to bear a child?" She's like, "I never said I would bear the child." Uh-huh. But you did kind of imply it, didn't you? She, she's our trickster she, figure. She didn't say that she wouldn't. That's she, also she, true. Huh? Okay, she, you're right. She puts a lot of emphasis on like this will be our child. Yeah, it is true. And never explains to to Baltar how the uh, the the pretty lady in his brain uh, is going to make <laughs> a, a a baby that's going to be half human, half Cylon. Uh, a Simon. She's not. What's going to happen is Hilo and Sharon are going to have the baby. And then Six is going to steal it and run away and be like, my baby! (laughs) Look at that. I think I remember one of you saying in a previous episode recently... That couldn't um, be us, no. (laughs) That when Six says our child, right, um, we can also take that to mean our as in the human race, v or not versus, the human race and the Cylon race together. And it's sneaky that she would say that. That was a good point. <laughs> one of you made it, certainly not me. But um, but I could see how she could get by on a technicality that way. Yeah, That's that true. is true. But uh, he keeps pushing back and is, you know, and at one point she's like, you know what? I'm done with you. You're no longer my fantasy. And oh, at one point um, when she's like, I never said I would bear the child. And he's like, oh, who's it going to be? Starbuck? And she gives him this look like, <laughs> fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> Which like, I love. You're in dangerous territory now. <laughs> I love watching him push back. He has been in the palm of her hand this whole time. And I get it. But it's just it. And I know it's because he's kind of at his wits end at this point and is really struggling 
um, with the whole thing, but it's still fun to see him kind of stand up to her, at least for a little yeah. while. And I love this moment where she kind of like gets threatening with him and he like he makes that comment, you know, let it be Starbuck. And obviously that hits a nerve with her. He's like, so what's it going to be this week? Don't tell me. I guess uh, the ship's going to blow up. No, no. Damn, damn. Done that one. Done that one. <laughs> uh, so it's got to be something else. Somebody, me, of course. It's me. I'm going to explode. Good. Good. God is going to make me spontaneously combust in a great big ball of flame. And then the whole crew of Galactica can celebrate on Ambrosia. Get really drunk. Ambrosia's a fun reference there, just because of their whole... I'm sorry, what? Ambrosia's a really fun reference there, just because of the whole food of the gods thing. That's mm-hmm. all. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But uh, she kind of pushes him to the point where uh, she's like, you know what? Fuck this. And she puts on her pajamas, <laughs> put, puts her hair up. She's like, I'm done with you. And it's like, like to the point where, like, when Andrew and I watched this the first time, uh, we were just like, "Wait, is that a different person?" I really was like, like, "Is that the real six? And this other six has been a fake six the whole time." But for just the briefest of seconds, I actually thought it was Katie Sackoff. Yeah, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. She does mm-hmm. look like Starbuck a little bit there. Yeah, like it's the the least like Trisha Helfer she's ever looked. Yeah, yeah. right. Like, that was kind of my thought at first is like, oh, she took on Starbucks' appearance to, like, kind of jab back at him for saying, oh, right, it's going to be Starbucks. Right. Mm-hmm. But no, that's just, she's, just, that's what she looks like when she's not all sixed up. But it's, <laughs> sixed up. <laughs> and it's funny, though, because I follow, I mean, most of them, but Trisha Helfer on Twitter and Instagram. So I see her a lot. And she, I don't know. I don't want to. Now I feel like I'm getting, I'm like going to shame her for wearing sweats on the show. So that's not what I mean. But even like dress down Trisha Helfer looks very different from dress down six. Like they really like, like frumped her up. Mm -hmm. She's still beautiful. (laughs) But it's just, it's funny that they uh, did that. I don't know. For uh, another moment, like after realizing that, no, this is still, not only is it still Trisha Helfer, but it's still six. I thought that when she did the uh, the sweatsuit and like her whole like demeanor change and everything, and even like the tone of her voice changed, mm-hmm. for a moment I thought she was going to turn around and say like, "No, oh, you know what, guys, you really are crazy, and I've been treating you. I'm your doctor." <gasps> like try to play like another character. How That's fucking really wild would that have been? Going. Yeah. Basically, turn it around to make him think this cell that he's in is actually his cell, his. and like. She's That's treating so him as a patient. That would have been fucking cool. Yeah. Also, how fantastic an actress is she that all three of us thought she was somebody completely different because she put her hair up. Like, yeah. do you know what I mean? No, that's that's why she's so, so good, good in this role because she she gets to be so many different pe- personas. Yeah, because Shelley Godfrey completely different from Six or exactly uh, casual, like dress casual down, Six, yeah, dress down Six, pajama Six, pajama Six, bedtime Six, uh-uh. gym teacher Six. There. Gym teacher six, there it is. Yeah, bedtime uh, six is a little different. Yeah, oh, fair enough. Yeah, uh, we, we've seen bedtime six. <laughs> but Caleb, you mentioned uh, her convincing Baltar that he's crazy and that she's been treating him and this is his, like, you know, cell or whatever. But uh, she does actually try to convince him that he's crazy and, and says, you know, why don't you, uh, why don't you get on a sick bay and get a brain scan, you dunce? Yeah, she, she references, you know, you know, there's no Cylon chip implanted in your brain, which I completely forgot that, that was, like, the story that they had gone with early on then like he'd had an, an implant and that's how she could speak to him and then she's like you know i'm your psychosis yeah you're crazy 
you made me up. Why you're talking? Why are you talking to me? Yeah, I can't do anything about this. Go to go get yourself checked out. You'll there's no chip that'll prove it. And he's kind of like, that's not a you know, but it's not. I, I'm going to leave anyway, and it has nothing to do with the thing that you just said. And you have a good day. I'm going to walk out of the door because I want to. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, of course, he goes straight to annoy the fuck out of Doc Cottle. <laughs> Might as well. Might as well. So he's there in in uh, in the, the brain scan machine, and uh, that's what they call it. That's what they call it. And uh, he has to lay perfectly still. And six comes up and like kind of fucking tickles him or whatever. And so he <laughs> so he squirms. And Cottle's like, "Will you fucking sit still?" <laughs> She's such an asshole. She like is. no reason for her to. Except I thought that. She's trying to sabotage the scan. Exactly, yeah. And then uh, she's still, like, you know, talking to him and poking at him as, as Coddle's resetting the machine. At one point, like, Baltar, like, practically sits up and, like, leans over to, like, scream at her. And Coddle goes, will you stop going crazy in there? <laughs> That's the best. Just zero fucks about his bedside man. I was just going to say. Coddle doesn't fuck around at all. Nope. nope. <laughs> look, look, I'm a busy man. I don't have time for your shit. Got a lot of cigarettes to smoke and other people's pills to take. Yeah. And then they uh, they go over the scans and Cottle's like, nothing, nothing, more nothing. <laughs> He's like, I, I, are you sure? Like, the, there's definitely nothing. He's like, you could take those and spend all the damn time you want on them. I got shit to do. <laughs> obsess over these on your own time. And he walks away muttering something about hypochondriacs. There's one on every ship. Does that make Baltar? I love Doc Cottle. I want that show. I want the medical drama like house, but it's Cottle. I want that to be happening. Like the, the mash of Battlestar Galactica. Exactly. Yes. That's the I would watch that I didn't show. know I needed. Right? right? It's, it's just him fucking quipping constantly oh, as he's yeah. like, as, you know, he's performing like life-saving surgeries. Yep. Yeah. We need that show. We need that show. Is Baltar a Cylon? So, because there's no chip in his brain, I don't think my guess is that we're not going to get a definitive answer on what's up with the six in Baltar's brain. But if we're, like at all, I don't know. I, I would be I will not be surprised if that remains ambiguous or or that we can't say definitively, which I guess is what it is. If something's ambiguous, mm -hmm. um, what's going on with that? So. Adama is all ready to set out on a raptor to to Koble. So he's only taking essential personnel. <laughs> Could you list those essential I, personnel I, for us? I can and I will. So it's Adama. Obviously, obviously. he's essential. They, he's got Tyrrell, which I assume because Tyrrell was on the surface of Koble before. And then uh, there's a couple people in the raptor who I don't think are characters at all. They're, well, just... they're essential so something bad can happen to somebody maybe yeah. without it being somebody. Uh, exactly. Uh, racetrack goes. Oh, racetrack goes. Yeah, okay. Good old racetrack. I missed racetrack. Uh, but then uh, up in the front seat of the Raptor is uh, Billy Ray Cylon. And of course, the essential he gets personnel. Air sick. Like, of course he does. But there's this, there's this great exchange between Adama and Billy in this moment where Billy's like, you know, he's not sure why Adama, like, oh, why are you bringing me? She's not going to want to see me. And, and I'm useless. And Adama's like, of course he is. Like, of course she is. She's going to want to see you. Because, you know, she respects your opinion and blah, blah, blah. And he's like, I don't know about that. And Adama says, uh, she thinks she'll be president one day. And and says, you remind her of uh, of President Adar. 
And uh, he's like, I'm not really sure how to respond to that. And Adama says, uh, don't let it go to your head. Adar was a moron. <laughs> so good. <laughs> so good. <laughs> and Billy's just got the, oh. 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 <laughs> On his good. face. Take the wind out of that kid's sails. But they jump, they jump to Kobol, they land, and we're back with our crew already in progress with, uh, with Rosalind and all them. And, uh, oh shit, they hear something coming. And something's coming. And we have multiple Dreadus contacts, so we're going to go ahead and jump to a safer location. And when we come back, we'll talk about the, uh, the last quarter <laughs> of this two-part episode, Home, from this 2004 series, Battlestar Galactica. <laughs> So stay tuned. You're listening to a Night Shift Radio production. Night Shift Radio is a modern media company bringing you shows that entertain, inform, and most importantly, provide an escape. Never Heard of It dives into the world of bad, obscure, and sometimes just weird movies. Follow along with the crew of Set Condition One as they experience the 2004 sci-fi hit Battlestar Galactica one episode at a time. Each week on Left of the Dial, we explore a new record or revisit an old favorite. We'll bring in guests to talk about their own music and the state of the industry. The Superpod HeroCast. Guys with beers talking about movies with capes. They draw a random comic-inspired movie from Thor's helmet and offer thorough, insightful, and humorous commentary. And once a month, tune into the Storyteller series and get lost in the magic of a good old-fashioned radio drama. Learn more about these fine shows at nightshiftradio.com and subscribe on your favorite platform. Sit rep. I was waiting for you action stations, but I, we're not doing that. <laughs> <laughs> this is the second half. Yeah. I realized that this was a very long break. It, it Like, way longer than usual? Yeah, it felt like about a week and a half between, like, when we left for commercial and now. Easily. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, at least. Uh, it's almost like we recorded the first half of this episode a week and a half ago, <laughs> and we also recorded the second half of this episode a week and a half ago, but then somebody's computer stopped recording halfway through the episode. Caleb! No. And uh, uh, through <laughs> the magic of editing, uh, we're going to go ahead and just make it appear to you, the listener, that this is just a seamless transition right back into the episode. Like we, like nothing ever happened. You'll never notice. Where are we? Oh, we're on Kobol. Kobol! <laughs> Thank you for humoring me. You're welcome. I wanted to do it one more time. <laughs> I know you did. Just say Kobol one more time. <laughs> uh, but yeah, as we went to the break, uh, something was coming. Something Something wicked this way comes. No, it's not wicked. It's Adama. Oh, it's yeah. Adama. Lee pops out from behind the tree and to he confront him. To, no, he doesn't. Heart. <laughs> and that's a wrap on EJO. <laughs> Round of applause. He just keeps getting just, shot. No, uh, Lee pops twice out twice in like in like six episodes. He hasn't even Poor recovered guy. from the first one yet. Ain't that a bitch? Uh, yeah, Lee pops out from behind the tree and comes face-to-face -face and gun-to-gun -gun with his father, who is, uh, holding a much bigger gun. So, there's, there's something that stands out to me about this scene, because they, they, they're face-to-face, -face. they, they see who it is, they, they understand, and, uh, I think the commander's the first one to acknowledge it, uh, when he says, put your weapon down, Captain. <laughs> and Lee hesitates a bit too long for my comfort, like... Well, it really looks like he's prepared to shoot if he has to. And like, that's a, a, a 
big turnaround from like the emotion that we saw like moments ago in episode time uh, with like him realizing like learning that his father was was alive, like made it through the uh, the, the shooting and through the operation and whatnot. Uh, to like now they're face to face and he's ready to put him right back down. Well, keep in mind that Lee did uh, pull a gun on Ty. Uh, he sewed insurrection on the ship. He helped the president escape. He f- fucked off AWOL. Like he's in some trouble uh, yeah. right now and he knows it. And so I think he's, he's probably not lowering his gun. Cause he's like, are you going to shoot me? <laughs> they uh but uh, you know after a very tense moment they do both put their weapons down and uh and they have they have themselves a hug and a cry they they do a good it's, old father-son hug it's it's beautiful it is they have a hug and a cry i have a cry and a cry <laughs> it's true i love them so much it's it's, mm, it's just wonderful mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. And uh, of course, the uh, the president uh, is is happy to see them. You know, she's she's on her mission, and she feels like she's she's gone off on her own, doing what she feels that she has to. But uh, I, I think she acknowledges that it's nice to have the the full support of uh, the Galactica behind her. Yeah, uh, and, assuming that's what's happening right now. And Billy, uh, Billy's back, and she has a moment with Billy. It's a very nice moment. Unbelievable, but nice. Okay, explain. It's Billy. <laughs> she loves him. You have no idea how much it means to me to have you here because it means so little. You could not he believe. Has gone, he has gone from school field trip to trusted advisor <laughs> in a very short period of time. It, I, and, <laughs> and she I thinks like, he's going to be president someday. She thinks he's going to be president sometimes. She thinks he's just enough of a moron <laughs> to be president. Um, I mean, they'll let anyone do it. He's got to grow they'll into the it. suit first, but as soon as he does. But, like, think about it, though. Like, there it really is no one in her administration that's closer to her. The closest that we saw uh, to being, like, a- as much of a trusted advisor was the dude she fucked over for the vice presidency. <laughs> it's true. The one yeah. who, who didn't want it to begin with. <laughs> Reluctantly took it, and then she yanked it away, and he's like, well, now I don't want it anymore. He's like that angry penguin claymation character. (laughs) No, I don't want it. (laughs) So, like, Billy's really, like, like, he's it for her. Oh, God, imagine. Oh, God. Billy's her best friend. Stop. (laughs) That little. Could you imagine? You're. Billy being your best friend. I know. But hey, these are that bad. Times are tough and there's not that many people left. So there's there's slim pickings. (laughs) Who would be your best friend? Not who would you want most to be your best friend? Because I probably know everybody's answers. But who do you think would end up being your best friend in the fleet? In the fleet? I I, I, can I am I assuming that we are all stationed on Galactica? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Unless you have a reason to be stationed elsewhere and I'll I'm willing to to listen to your claim but hot dog <laughs> hot dog would be your best friend you really think so i don't know i feel his like... name is hot dog that's true i like hot dogs 
<laughs> I hope that y'all came in together and Starbucks like hot dog and your buddy fucking hamburger over here. <laughs> or maybe it'd be like macaroni salad. Oh, that's it. Yep. Old macaroni. Just call me relish. There you go. <laughs> okay, relish is your new call sign because I can't remember your old one. And I feel like you'd follow Chief around. You'd really want to be his bud. Except wouldn't you nerds be doing something with coordinating coordinates, calculating coordinates? Well, no, because the computers on Galactica aren't networked, and I'm a network engineer, so. And they don't have what I do on the Galactica. Yeah. <laughs> they don't have uh, G Suite on the Galactica. <laughs> <laughs> They're not using Google for their email. <laughs> I guess, like, D's the closest to what I do. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, D's the closest to what you do. I would definitely be fixing spaceships. For sure. Caleb's walking around making sure everybody has two fucking factor on their whatever the <laughs> I'm Gmail. I'm making sure that there are no unlogged calls. <laughs> yeah. Because, you know, like, fucking you're, Battlestar InfoSec. You're the Gata. <laughs> oh. Big sirens. Ooh. Oh. They're coming to get you for that joke. <laughs> well, thank you for asking. I think my best friend. <laughs> you asked? Yeah. I don't know. I know that I would follow Starbuck around and try so hard to impress her and she would hate me. But um, if not, it would end up being Billy. I, I know it now. Now that I, I jinxed myself. <laughs> oh. You would no. be an important part of the president's entourage. <laughs> And well, that's Billy okay. would be the one person you spend the most time oh, with. Oh, God. And just by default, you would be... What would happen is Dee and I would be friends, and Billy would just hang around me constantly to try to... Try to get information about Dee. information about Dee. And I'm so nice and friendly, obviously, that I wouldn't hey. be able to hey. tell that little dweeb to... Hey. Hit. Do you say anything about me? <laughs> no. No, <laughs> Billy. She's never said anything about you. She... Does she miss me? No. Okay, but... This I, is already better than the last time we did this. <laughs> I told her you died. <laughs> and she wasn't even sad about it. She said, good. He's a dweeb. Good. Do you want to go to the makeout deck with me? Why, yes, do I do. <laughs> I like this show. <laughs> so uh, so we're on Kobol. Uh, Starbuck, Starbuck and Adama hug as well, while uh, Chief Tyrrell does some amazing background acting <laughs> with, his, yes. uh, with his rifle. Just... just <laughs> He's ready to shoot a motherfucker. He's just, he's like, I, I don't care. I'll shoot anybody. Somebody fucking come up here. Just try it. I'll shoot you. I don't care. I'm the chief. Uh, and it almost looks like he might get his chance. It does, because who fucking pops out from out of nowhere, but goddamn Sharon again, making a fucking entrance. Like, you'd think Jesus by now, Christ, Sharon. you'd think by now they would have been like, okay, when someone shows up, let us be fucking cool boomer just, just chill for a second let us explain you first and then you come out from behind the got tree it, got it got it okay i'm ready hey hey guys, hey guys. <laughs> remember me surprise it's me she's waving with a gun in her hand <laughs> <laughs> and it's just oh like everyone's just like immediately on high alert as it, as is expected. Mm -hmm. So like guns are drawn, uh, you know, Tyrrell who is ready to shoot a motherfucker has his gun up. Uh, Adama draws his again and just like stares her down. And, you know, she tries to like, to, to reach out to him and he just immediately like grabs her, starts basically strangling her, like, throws her to the ground and is like, he's going to kill her. You see it well, in his sure. eyes. Well, and he even says, like, I want I you to want die. I want you to die. <laughs> it's so fucking intense. 
and everyone's just like trying oh, that's to. That's because they're camping. Yelling. It's always yeah. intense. Yeah. If you're, oh, my God. Uh, I hate it, but I like it. Um, uh, Kitsy's face, I don't know how well you can see through the camera. I've never seen them more disappointed. It wasn't even the word. It was like full-on disgust. I understand. <laughs> it's important to note that uh, right before Adama goes for the throat, he has a flashback of her shooting him and then mm-hmm. him looking at her corpse in the morgue and asking why. And that'll be relevant. Yeah. In a second. Even Starbuck, who uh, just, again, moments ago on the uh, on Colonial One, uh, or wherever it was when they when Cheryl, or Sharon made her last uh, faux pas entrance. Uh, <laughs> the Zephyr, I believe. Who, like, oh, maybe the, the Zephyr, okay. Uh, you know, Starbuck f- failed to defend her or say anything that time around. This time, she's like, you know, Commander, no. And, of course... Uh, Bad commander. Hilo. <laughs> Hilo is like, oh, God, not again. No, she's with us. Please don't do this. Uh, and as Adama is basically you know, choking this boomer to death, she looks up at him and says, and you wanted to know why. Yep. How hard does that hit? It's yep. What I didn't realize what was happening in that scene. And so when y'all said that when we first recorded, that was my first time realizing what was going on there. And I was fully shocked. Like, I goosebumps. So uh, I think it it raises an interesting question because does that mean that she can read his thoughts? Because that other Sharon was dead. So she certainly wasn't, like, she certainly doesn't have a memory of that experience of him looking at her in the morgue. Unless dead Cylons can still transmit fucking data, which I doubt, I don't think that's accurate. So we know, or at least at this point, we assume based on what we've been told by uh, a few different Cylons, that when they, when each copy dies, their uh, consciousness is uploaded back mm-hmm. somewhere and it is downloaded to the cloud. To a new body. Yeah, they, they back up to the cloud. It's you know very smart Cylons uh, understand <laughs> the importance uh, of backing uh, up their data. Exactly. They, 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 they've got it down. Uh, humans, not so much. Anyway, um, it's not that much of a stretch to think that a replacement Sharon uh, would have gotten her memories and passed that along. However, there's a contradiction inherent in that, in that it's actually uh, Meyer, or shithead, as you refer to him, mm-hmm. uh, who tells her about the death of right. the other Sharon. Like, she didn't know prior to being on Kobol right. uh, that someone, that, well, specifically Callie, had shot uh, the original Boomer. Is And so there's, it's, there's an inherent uh, contradiction there that I can't reconcile. When so, she has the flashback, is Adama touching her at that point? Is, has he started his attack? He has remember. the flashback, not her. When he has the flashback, <laughs> is he touching her it's, at that point? It's before. So he has not made... No, because no. the flashback is what makes him... Although I guess it doesn't... I guess that actually doesn't make a difference. Yeah. My my thought, my question, my whatever is taking into account that what happens directly after um, or in that, in that moment when we think it's possible that he's going to choke this boomer out and then something happens and he has some sort of heart event that feels very mm-hmm. like force chokey to me. I'm wondering if there's some sort of like action or influence or something that she can have on his body when she's touching him. <gasps> Do we... Because we know that Six, whether she's a chip or not, 
she is very tactile with Baltar Mm -hmm. and exerts a lot of influence and control over him. Mm -hmm. And we know that she exists in some way in and out of his brain, right? Like Mm -hmm. sometimes when he's interacting with her, it's like he goes to his little mind palace and other times she's out in the real world with him. Um, And so if that's the case, I wonder if there's some degree of crossover or interaction that way that because Boomer is touching him in that moment, she can see and has access to his memories. And that's the first time she's actually seen it is when, when he actually touches her. Well, we'll we'll get to it, and we'll like we don't know to the extent that we can believe her, but six tells us who she is in this episode at the very end. Mm-hmm. So yes, we'll, we'll come back to that. But I I don't think it, this is really germane to the the discussion. But I do like to think about um like six touching Baltar. He's just like rubbing himself. Well, he essentially. is. Some, I mean, occasionally yeah. we do see that like, <laughs> like, versions of that. Yeah, when he thinks about six, he touches himself. Mm-hmm. I don't want else <laughs> Yeah, like that. When I think about sex, I touch myself. Like the song. You know what happens when you sing on this show. <laughs> I haven't done anything um, untoward with anybody's yet. vocal stylings yet. So, but like, why would you auto-tune that? That was perfect. That, that was perfect. That's true. I don't auto-tune it for pitch correction. I auto-tune it for the T-Pain effect. <laughs> hey. Because it's funny. Uh, so after after they they sort things out, um, Adam and Roslyn are kind of having this moment. They're they're kissing and making up, not literally kissing, but they're making up. Well, and uh, not not on the show. Y'all are watching. And uh, there's there's this great there's this great exchange Andrew's where head cannon. or he he's like I forgive you, and she's like I didn't ask for your forgiveness. He's like, well, you have it anyway. <laughs> it's they're both so stubborn. And I love it. They're so stubborn and it's such a like a mean girls-esque thing to do uh where it's like i wish that that it had gone back and forth a little while longer yeah well, you have it anyway well that's fine but i don't need it well i'm just i want to give it just to you. just in case you yeah. decide you need it later you just hang on uh, to that but this is there's another great moment in this scene um where that i i don't think i caught before that uh it, you know they, they kind of start to question like should we have left earth or blah 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 and Adama in, you know, very, very on brand for him is like, you know what? We made the decision we made. It was the right decision at the time. It's still the right decision now. And we're alive because of it. My son's alive because of it. And I owe that to you. And he's, but like, it's just another example of him, like saying like, Hey, you know, we made our decision. We have to stand by it. Well, and he says like every day, every moment, every day uh, since then is a gift. And Rosalind's mm-hmm. like from the gods. He's like, no, from you. Yeah. No, <laughs> you dummy. Like, for convincing me that I should go. Because like, yeah. it, it was her in the end that conv- like talked him out of like making a last stand after you know, reprovisioning at Ragnar. Uh, at which point, you know, Galactica would have been destroyed mm-hmm. and uh, any of the remaining fleet would have been hunted down eventually or sabotaged from within because apparently there were sevens of Cylons <laughs> already in the fleet at that point. One Doral would have taken him out, but yeah, that's, that's, I I love this dynamic that's developing. It's, it's very good. They they're like so at odds all the time, but somehow like always manage to find this common ground. Uh, and what and, and I, I touched on this a little bit last week with the you know Adama's penchant for you know listening to the women around him and <laughs> making decisions based on that. 
But I feel like more often than not, it's Adama admitting he's wrong and coming to around to her point of view mm-hmm. than the other way around. Oh, yeah. I I love this about so many of the characters on the show, but I think Adama um, and, and Rosalind, but really Adama is such a good example of um, uh, consistency in a character, but it's, there's never... But he never feels, like, stagnant. It never feels like he's just always doing the same thing over and over again, and there's no growth or change. Um, he's a very conflicted, complicated, complex, other words that start with C, character, um, <laughs> but who is also really believable and and whose choices and, and actions make sense even if they're – they make sense even if they're surprising, if that makes sense. Like, we talked um, – you know, just maybe a half hour or so ago in this episode um, about how they're worried that Adama's going to, like, suddenly come blow up the Astral Queen. Um, And I was saying that I was surprised that they would think that because Sun's on board and he hasn't done that before. But at the same time, he's so furious and full of rage that it's not entirely outside the realm of possibility. So you still have that tension, even if deep down you know that he wouldn't. It's just, I think it's a really, um, it can be a very difficult balance to have a character that that feels that real. Um, and uh, just the show, I, I don't know how they manage to do it so well so often. I rest my case. I give credit to EJO. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's all him. <laughs> Not even about anything about the show, just in general. Just I think in general. We should yeah. be giving EJO credit. The man's a goddamn legend. <laughs> he is. Uh, we also have a good moment between uh, Chief and Sharon. Uh, <laughs> and, and Hilo. And now it's Hilo's turn to do some good background acting. Because <laughs> we have this, like, you know, Sharon, you know, is like, hey, Chief, it's good to see you. And he's like, wait, wait you, you know who I am? She's like, yeah, I mean, we haven't met, but like, but I, I remember, remember you. you. And like, she talks about like essentially like having, uh, at least up into a point, like having all of Sharon's memories. So like remembering serving together, remembering being in love and whatnot. And of course, as you mentioned, Hilo's in the background, just like, oh man, that's my girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, technically, that's his. Ew, but like that's the boomer that he's been, you know. Fraternizing. <laughs> Fracking? <laughs> Fracking. Yeah. And the other one, sorry, Chief, is dead, so. She's mm-hmm. hella dead. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, Hilo does that thing where, like, he picks up a blade of grass and then, like, tosses it down. <laughs> Man. <laughs> My girlfriend's ex boyfriend is here. Though, I mean, Boomer is, and we talked about this last week, like, in the actual episode that aired last week, not in the, that Boomer does not have, like, it doesn't seem to occur to Boomer that she's maybe put them in a weird kind of complicated situation. And so I wonder what Boomer's thinking about just the whole, the whole exchange. I don't know. It's like a... I think that this Boomer understands the complexities and nuances of love. Hello, Boomer. More than any other Cylon model, but also more than most humans. Yep. Definitely more than those two boneheads, <laughs> at least. <laughs> She's got a lot to teach them, I'll bet. Um, there's a cut directly after that that I love so much that is to 
check your notes. I forget who it's to, but the next line is in a different scene. So where does that leave us? And you know that that's also what Hilo wrote in his diary that night. <laughs> I just, it's such a fun little, little cut there. So, oh, you're, you're referring to Meyer talking to uh, Zarek, realizing now that with, uh, with the big man back, that their plan is out. That's like, right. They're not going to quote unquote, accidentally shoot Lee anymore. Uh, and Zarek is, you know, he's let's just give it up, man. Like it, it was kind of a dumb plan to begin with. <laughs> now it's a really bad idea. Uh, you know, we'll get our chance. It's not going to be now. Yeah. And Meyer's like, no, like we have, we can still do this, <laughs> but I want to, uh, to the point like, you know, Zarek straight up tells him like, you just, you need to drop it. Cause you know, we, we talked about this already. Like Zarek is a, a very like pragmatic individual. Like he has his goals. He has his things that he wants to achieve, but he's not going to like just go off half cocked and like start a, a little insurrection, uh, uh, against you know, the, the biggest like names in the fleet. Uh, when he, like, he knows that there's a you know very little chance that it'll succeed or go his way. Uh, but Meyer's not convinced uh, to the point where like he takes advantage of a moment and uh, pulls Boomer aside, tells her you know all about uh, how the uh, the other Sharon died, and like you know basically tries to talk her into helping him formulate a plan to take out the two Adamas. Mm-hmm. And. Uh... And that's the plot. <laughs> that's it. Episode <laughs> over. Episode over. <laughs> no, uh, they 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 take a uh, they make a plan. Uh, Shithead gives her a gun, and uh, and we move on and we find the tomb. Uh, the tomb of Athena. Of Athena. Of Athena. Yeah. Huh. So they find the tomb, uh, and the idea is that. Um, you know, Sharon's going to shoot one of the Adamas, Shithead's going to shoot the other, and Sharon pulls a gun on Adama, but then does that thing where, you know, she looks like she's going to shoot him, but then shoots Meyer instead. Um, excuse me, Shithead instead. Uh, <laughs> gotcha. And a couple other of uh, Zarek's goons. And uh, and then she she gives Adama, while, while pointing a gun back at him, this great speech... Which Caleb, I assume you have the the uh, script up now. Uh, Sharon had told Meyer, you know, when we get to the entrance, they'll be distracted. I'll take the father, and you take the son. Uh, and so you know, he goes in thinking that this is going to be the the deal. Uh, and <laughs> you know, she she turns on him, and like as she has the the gun still uh, to Adama's chest, she says to him, like, "Listen, I'm Sharon." I, I need you to know this. I, I'm Sharon, but I'm a different Sharon. I know who I am. I don't have any hidden protocols or programs lying in wait to be activated. I make my own choices. I make my own decisions, and I need you to know this is my choice. And she flips the gun around and hands it to him. Oh, she's so it's good. It's so cool. It would have been kind of badass if she did just kill him, though. Like, a little <laughs> bit. I would have hated it, of course. But if she said that, and then she just... This is my choice. Yeah, <laughs> and then just blew him away. I need you to understand that I want to kill you. Uh, and, like, he, he takes the gun, and for a second he holds it on her. And then he hands it off to the chief, who looks at it and like, this is old as shit. This isn't military. <laughs> and... She, he's like, where did you get this? And she points over at Meyer, uh, who is now laying on the, the ground with a uh, a gun in, or a bullet in him. Uh, and Meyer's just like, 
Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, Zarek goes over to comfort his man, and he's like, you know, like, you, you never did listen to me. And mm-hmm. Meyer's just like, I just, just wanted to see you get your due. I'm like, well, you got your due, buddy. Yeah, it's so wild, because, like, Zarek is not, <clears throat> I mean, Zarek is definitely interested in getting his due at some point, but, like, that is not... He told you to fucking chill out. Mm-hmm. They have it is. Well, he never listens. He never. It's a good point. He never Again, listens. consistency of character. Got, and now he got shot about it. But I just, it feels to me, and I guess it's just another good example of this show um, doing what it do. But that there's something in their backstory, you know, like they're so they feel so real and lived in as characters, and their relationship feels so real and lived in that you can tell that they have. A history where Zarek's not even that surprised that this idiot did this, um, but it does make me really curious about what that might be. What if it was Meyer that made the call to blow up the government building? <gasps> and Zarek's just never. Oh. Zarek never let him take the fall for it because he's not a snitch. He ain't no snitch, Mm-mm. and also you know he's like you know kind of the the figurehead of this this movement of mm-hmm. his. That's true. And so, like, he, he takes the responsibility for it. I wonder. I That's wonder. That's interesting. But I wonder if Eric was like, please don't blow up the building. Please, could you like, just not? We're, 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 we're actually making some progress uh, with the, this government. Like, I, I think they're going to sit down and, and negotiate with us. I, I really think we've got a shot here. And it's, nah, I'm going to blow it up. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm going to do it. <laughs> you blew up the fucking building, didn't you? I sure did. Cool, cool, cool. I hear what you're saying. Uh, I'm going to go blow up the building. <laughs> Wave at the people, Joe. I'm going to point at them. <laughs> <laughs> so we, uh, we, we're, at, we're at the tomb, uh, and Starbuck is playing fucking mist with the arrow <laughs> trying to open the tomb. Well, you know, like, she's thinking, like, maybe if she places it in just the right, like, arrow-shaped slot, it'll open. I even saw, there's, a, like, a big old crack that looked like... It might be like, you know, maybe the arrow is literally the key and you stick it in and turn it or something. No, she's just like holding it up and nothing happens. And uh, somebody, I think maybe it was either a healer or the chief, thinks to One push. One of those meatheads, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but you know what? <laughs> sure enough, the door just, they just pushed the door open. Oh, oh, you just opened the door. Oh. It's so funny because that was, that's life been hack. me. This whole life hack. <laughs> if you want to open a door, just, just open it. Just open it. You don't need an arrow. I don't need an arrow at all. Big stone door probably doesn't unlock with an arrow. I don't know why we didn't think of that in the first place, but it's so funny because that's been me this whole first season and a half of this show trying to figure out. And again, and I jokingly said the first, like in the beginning, what yes. if it's just a fucking arrow? How funny will that be? And, and then, then it, it is just There's a fucking no arrow. There's no way it's an arrow. And then, There's no way it's a fucking arrow. And then I spent like 10 minutes in one episode being like, so what could they do with it? Maybe it's for a sundial. Maybe it's, no, it's, <laughs> you just open the door and then you give the arrow to the one person that it would make sense to give a fucking arrow to there's no puzzle there's no puzzle <laughs> yeah there's really not a puzzle they just walk in and there's there's statues representing uh the icons of the 12 colonies or as we know them the 12 constellations uh and they find uh sagittaire on the archer who's missing an arrow and so Which, they i'm still a little miffed that like i get that it had to be sagittaire and i get that he's the archer but i mean it's the arrow of apollo it belongs to Apollo. But I, I do like, you know, you're right, and I agree with you, and I 
have agreed with you, and I still do, but up until this point, until I say the thing I'm going to say now, which is... <laughs> which disagrees with you. <laughs> I just think it builds on what you're saying, is that... Uh, um, I just realized that we're going to... This is going to come up in a few, in a moment as well, but this is like uh, their religion slash mythology, and mm-hmm. we know that myths and legends get warped and changed and folded in with history as it goes. Um, and so it almost, in a way, it does make, it makes a kind of sense that the arrow of Apollo would also be Sagittarius arrow um, and that it's conflated in that way. Yeah. Just a little yeah. bit. <laughs> like, I don't like it, but... Or maybe, like, the arrow was originally from this statue, but, like, it was brought back with the, the colonies and became a relic that they referenced to the god Apollo or something. It's, it's fine. I love this moment where they walk into the tomb and they see all of these, like, worn-down, broken statues, and they start to make those connections, realizing that they're the, the symbols, the icons of the 12 tribes, which became the 12 colonies, uh, and they like just have this moment of like, holy shit, this is where it all started. Like they, they knew they were on Kobol and they knew that they were like kind of experiencing a piece of humanity's shared history. But I feel like in that moment, it kind of really, uh, for lack of a better term, it really hit home for them. Like it really kind of all mm-hmm. came together. Like shit, this is this is real. And they're still trying to figure out the puzzle. And they're still wondering like, where does the arrow go? And then. As you said, somebody, uh, uh, I think it was Rosalind. Yeah, Rosalind points out you know, Sagittarius, the archer. He's missing something. And so uh, Starbuck reaches up and he, he places, or she places the arrow uh, of Apollo into the archer's bow. And bam, the door closes, the lights go out. Bam. Well, that's going to do it for us this week. And. <laughs> <laughs> No, we got. That would f- be a great place to leave it, but they don't. They don't. They don't. Uh, so it turns out uh, th- they end up in a field surrounded by uh, stones with uh, Stonehenge. Sure, with uh, the icons of the. <laughs> I'd like to point out that that exchange went the exact same way the last time we did this. <laughs> of course, you it did. Yelled Stonehenge. Uh, Kitsch is like, sure. And you had that same dejected look on your face. <laughs> oh. But it's, I just want to, it's like a henge. So, of stone. It is. It's a henge of stone. Thank you. And they, uh, so now we know what Stonehenge was actually for. Um, they have the the constellations of the 12, uh, the 12 colonies mapped out on these stones. And as you look up, you can see. The, what we know is the constellations uh, that we can see from from Earth, and they realize, oh, we're standing on Earth. Aww. Earth is where you can see these twelve constellations. So in that way, Kobol, if you think about it, is Earth. Nope. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Nope. Mm-hmm. Nope. It's not. Nope. Kobol's Earth. It's definitively nope. not. It's, yeah. She nope. called it. She said it. Nope. Da da da. But the question is. Are they really standing on Earth, or did they just get like? Did the door close and now like the planetarium lights came on? So, this is one of my favorite moments in the show as a whole. But uh, I mean, at the very least, in the, the first half of the show. But this this reveal where the the, the lights go out and they're in this Maybe. starlit field of you know tall, lush grass surrounded by these stones with the jewels in the shape of the constellations, and they see all the constellations and they look up. And somebody is like, you know, like, how did we, how did we get here? I, like, 
I thought we were in the tomb in Starbucks. Like, you know, I think that was the lobby. I think this is Earth. Yeah. And uh, I think it's also Starbucks or maybe Lee who uh, makes the connection. Like, um, the um, I want to find the ex- exact quote because this is. Uh, oh, here, here we go. Um, they they point out to all the, uh, the the constellations and they're like maybe maybe this is a map to Earth and Starbucks like I I think we're standing on Earth. The scriptures say that when the thirteenth tribe landed on Earth, they looked up into the heavens and saw their twelve brothers. Oh, boom! So sweet. That's <laughs> I love that That's moment. Just so sweet. And they're like so so this is a map. Like how do we how do we get here? Uh, and it's Apollo who points out like you know there in 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 Scorpio. Uh, is the uh, the Lagoon Nebula, or as uh, Adama knows it, Astro Body M8. <laughs> he knows the the, the precise astrological. Uh, of course, name, he does. Or astronomical name. Sorry. Now uh, for, uh, and so they they have at least a direction to go to find Earth. I I just fucking Lee deGrasse Tyson over here. Oh, I know that nebula. <laughs> I know right where it is. Like uh, fuck off. I, they spend a lot of time in space. They do. They they have to they have to understand star, uh, stellar charts pretty well. Stellar and, cartography. Ooh, ooh. <laughs> and he's the best pilot they've got. So it makes whoa. Why no one ever he? called it star time? Starbuck is the best pilot they've got. Well, what's he's the best cag That's, they got? Okay, but it makes if uh, anybody is going to know, it's the two of them, right? So we we got pretty deep into this the, the first time they were recorded it, but um, you you asked like, are they literally standing on Earth, or was this like, you know, just like a, a projection room essentially, or like you know, a, a, a planetarium, a VR theater, a planetarium? <laughs> My original thought was like, I don't put it past the show to have an element of mysticism mm-hmm. or like supernatural uh, to the point of like. You know, maybe in that moment they are like briefly transported directly to Earth. Uh, however, I think uh, on, on further thought, uh, it's more of like somewhere in between where they're not literally brought to Earth, but they are kind of somewhere else. They're not really in the the tomb anymore. It's like a liminal this, kind of space. Yeah, uh, because I don't think that there's anywhere on Earth where you can stand in the center of a circle and see the twelve constellations around you in a perfect circle. Ah, North Pole. Do you think so? I think so. I'm pretty sure. North Pole. I don't think, one, I don't think that's how space works. And two, I don't think there's lush grassy fields uh, at it, the North Pole. In the summer. <laughs> in the summer. In any season. I will, to get, like, I don't know what, to get a type of, I'm going to just roll with me for a moment here. Because... <laughs> one thing... Sorry, I can't help that. I understand. This is... So, I'm stand over here. <laughs> I like the soundtrack. I'm here for fun. Um, <laughs> no, so there are a couple of things. One is that, um, and I've said this before, there's that quote that science and magic being indistinguishable. What is it again? Oh, uh, sufficiently advanced uh, technologies indistinguishable from magic or something along those lines. Yeah, and so we're yes. far, they are, so it seems we've discovered now in this episode that they are far enough in our future that um, the old gods, or whatever they call them, have, have their names have become different, right? Just, um, it's been that long at least. And so 
And we know that they're ahead of us enough that they're spacefaring in such a way that we can't even really understand how they're doing it. So I'm okay with the possibility just being that they're so advanced that there are some things we're not going to get. I'm also okay with a world where there is a little bit of magic and we just don't have any answers for it. Again, I'm, I don't know if anybody knows if um, you've seen or heard of this show, but there's a show called Lost. <laughs> oh, no, I've never, um, um, I'm unfamiliar. What's it about? Oh, so can, you, the, can you just give us the whole plot real quick? This is a real, <laughs> a real be careful please, what you wish for yeah. situation because I would please love, don't. I would love to, <laughs> but so don't. in a show, as long as this isn't the only moment, right? This makes me want to never find out exactly what the fuck is up with six. Um, it makes me want to have moments like this throughout the show so that this is something else that makes sense that is in line with how this show is presenting its story and giving it to us or whatever. Um, <laughs> um, Boy, are you in luck. Oh, good. <laughs> so um, so I think it's, yeah, I, I do. I feel okay about this being, it felt just unquestionably supernatural slash magical um, in, yeah. in the first moment. And I think that effect, whether or not we get a reason for it or what's actually happening, is still moving and impactful enough that, that I'm happy that, I don't know. I don't yeah, know. and that's exactly what gives me so much joy about this scene is that there is just that moment of like being transported somewhere else and like feeling that wonder mm-hmm. with them of like, holy shit, like we're we're seeing the the universe from a completely different <gasps> angle and it's pointing us to where we need to go. Beautiful. And like that just that stirs my Asimovian heart. Speaking of distinguished and elderly scientists. <laughs> I still want my Doc Cottle spinoff. <laughs> I'm ready. I just... I want it. What else is he doing? Like, when we're not watching he's him just, yell at people. He's smoking cigarettes. He's smoking cigarettes and just flitting about the th- the, the fleet he, making house calls. He's just fucking chain smoking. Like, I love it. He pops up on the, the Vergon Traveler and like, oh, here's someone here's got, got a arrhythmia or something. I don't know. <laughs> It's supposed to um, hurt. <laughs> it's supposed to. Who, who here's got pills? <laughs> <laughs> I want that show. After uh, after the, the the group here on Cobol you know, realizes you know, they've discovered the direction that they're going, we, we cut back to Galactica, uh, and Sharon and Hilo are hanging out in the uh, the brig uh, in the very room where. Uh, Baltar was earlier in the episode being weird and creepy with uh, <laughs> Naked Six. Uh, and, you know, Sharon makes a, a, a comment like, you know, I just, I just don't, don't want our baby to be born in this room. And it's like, oh, boom. And boomer. then, uh, you know, <laughs> boomer. Uh, Gaius is, is creeping on the other side of the uh, one-way mirror. For some fucking reason. Six is like, I told you a child would arrive. Told you it would be born right here in this room. How could you ever doubt me? And this is like Baltar puts it together. He's like, Boomer's going to bear our child? What? That's what she meant all along. That's, that's literally what she meant all along. And he asks, you know, who or what are you? She says, I'll never tell. You're not a chip. We've established that. Yeah. Uh, she says, Yes. And Baldur says, but Sharon being pregnant does suggest that you are rather more than a simple manifestation of my subconscious. Uh, and I'm not 
crazy? And she says, no. <laughs> then who or what are you exactly? She says, I'm an angel of God sent here to protect you, to guide you, to love you. To what end? To the end of the human race. Oh. Roll credits. <laughs> but we did miss one thing, and that is uh, Adama gives a very good speech in the hangar deck to a big crowd of people and reinstates uh, Rosalind as the president because uh, we have to do that. And it kind of begs the question because he never undeclares martial law. So, <laughs> and we never hear Colonel Ty tell Adama he declared martial law. So, Guarantee he didn't. So that's the question is, did, did he did he just not say anything and hope that Adama would just like everything would work out and he wouldn't have to like confront that? Yeah. yeah I mean, that's I, definitely what he did. There's no doubt in my mind. At, at some point, uh, Commander Kelly or whatever his rank was, uh, probably says something, makes an offhand comment about martial law, and Adama's like, what? What are you talking about? And Ty just says, why aren't you in the brig? <laughs> <laughs> Everyone belongs in the brig if you're Colonel Ty. <laughs> and uh, now that we know the direction to head for Earth, Andrea, thoughts? Feelings? Theories? Feelings? Emotions? Silence? Yes, all of the above. I don't think this tells us that Cobalt isn't Earth in some way. I just think... No, it definitively does. Yeah, flat out. Okay. Like, okay. spoilers, everyone. Cobalt's not Earth. But... I, that's not even a spoiler. <laughs> but it is for Andrea, apparently. <laughs> it, like, they found where Earth is, and it's literally in a different part of the galaxy. Well... So much so that the, the stars align differently from Earth than they do from Cobalt, where also, they just were. They, it's not it's not in any way possible. It's a liminal space and I'll just we'll just leave it. We'll just uh, you know what? It, Let's just agree. They're different planets. No. We'll just agree to disagree. <laughs> no. We we most certainly will not. No, they're they're distinctly different planets in different systems. Hey Twitter. Holler at your girl if you think Cobal's Earth. But only <laughs> Typically, I'm open to criticism. In this case, no, but okay. So, Well, since we know which direction Earth is... Oh, sorry, you had more? <laughs> yeah, that wasn't anything. I just talked a bunch of bullshit for 30 seconds. Isn't that usually... Whoa! <laughs> oh, rude. I was going to say, isn't that usually what we do on this podcast? I wasn't singling you out. Yeah, I guess that is usually yeah. what we do on this podcast. Um, we should... Is there anything? Have you ruled anyone out as a Cylon? That's what I'm trying to... Or as not a Cylon? If I remember correctly, the, the question was asked to you, uh, who that we've currently met... Could be... Are you, are you willing to definitively say is a mm, Cylon? Yes. Is? Yes. Anders for sure. Okay. I'm still... I'm the still... fucking pyramid player? <laughs> We're going to put that on a t-shirt. Um, Anders, for sure. There's no doubt in my mind. I'll eat my hat, if not, which I've already said. No, I'm not ready to rule anybody out except for Hila, which I, we've already talked about. And I think, I think, I think Chief. I think I feel really okay about Chief. Um, and... It used to be because you said you don't think you ever saw him turning bad, but that doesn't mean anything because I have been a grave mistake that I've made, and I feel like I need to address this, and then we can move on. Um, and by move on, I mean say goodnight and goodbye and spool up those FTLs um, drives, is that 
Cylon doesn't equal bad necessarily, as we've seen with Sharon. Mm-hmm. So the fact mm-hmm. that you love Chief and he is pure of heart, as as I think that he is, doesn't make him not a Cylon, especially if he doesn't know that he's a Cylon. But I, but something in my heart tells me that Chief is not. Oh, no, no, anything can happen on this show. Caleb, can we pull up those FTL drives? Yes, pull them up. So now that we know the location of Earth. <laughs> Uh, or at least the direction that we need to head to get there, we're going to spool up our FTL drives and make the next jump in the right direction. Uh, and you can join us next week. You can dance. If you so want to. So say we all. So say we all. So say we all. Begin jump prep. We're leaving. But we'll be back. Start your prep. Set Condition 1 is a Night Shift Radio production. Visit nightshiftradio.com for more information.